0: Thank you for listening to Sermon Audio from Hill City Church in Springfield, Missouri. We are a community of believers who exist to glorify God by making disciples who bring gospel restoration to our city and world. For more information about Hill City or to support our ministry, you can find us online at hillcitysgf.org.
1: We're going to be in Luke chapter 23, verse 26. And as they led him away, they seized one Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country and laid on him the cross to carry it behind Jesus. And there followed him a great multitude of the people and of women who were mourning and lamenting for him. But turning to them, Jesus said, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For behold, the days are coming when they will say, Blessed are the barren and the wombs that never bore and the breasts that never nursed. Then they will begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us, and to the hills, Cover us. For if they do these things when the wood is green, what will happen when it is dry? Two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place that is called the Skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments, and the people stood by watching, for the ruler scoffed at him, saying, He saved others, let him save himself if he is the Christ of God, his chosen one. Soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him, this is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who were hang railed at him saying, are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him saying, do you not fear God since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, truly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. It was now about the sixth hour and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour, while the sun's light failed and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Then Jesus calling out with a loud voice said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, He breathed his last. Now, when the centurion saw what had taken place, he praised God, saying, Certainly this man was innocent. And all the crowds that had assembled for this spectacle, when they saw what had taken place, returned home beating their breasts. And all his acquaintances and the women who had followed him from Galilee stood at a distance watching these things. This is the word of God.
0: Let's just bow our heads. Just going to pray. God, as we look at the crucifixion of your Son, of the death of your Son, there's there's a richness in this passage. May we, may, may each of us in this place have our eyes opened to behold what took place. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. I want you guys to to hear my heart here. It is, it is always, always, 100% of the time, an honor to open God's word And to teach and discuss God's Word with you. Um, I I would say this, outside of probably being a husband and being a father, this is the most humbling thing that I do. There's a weight to this, every time. And then you dive into this passage of Jesus and this scene at Golgotha, just just it seems that there's even more more of a weight. See, all of human history, all of cosmic history, culminated to this event we just read of. We start in Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2 where God creates. God created, and it was perfect. He created and he called it good, and then he created and he called it good, and he did that over and over, and then he created man in his image, and he said, Oh, that is very good. And it was perfect. Man and woman in the presence of God was perfect. Man and woman in the presence of each other was perfect. And I've told you this before. We look at that last verse. In Genesis chapter 2. God and man and woman and it says of the man and woman that they stood there and they were naked and unashamed. Man, don't let the beauty of that verse elude you. Unashamed. That's how we left Genesis chapter 2. Then we get into Genesis chapter 3, where we see this perfect creation, this perfect relationship fractured. And it's fractured because of sin. See, sin came into this perfect creation, but, but with it came something else. See, sin didn't just come in with sin for the first time ever. Enters shame. It wasn't there in Genesis chapter 2. Shame. That shame led to fear, and that fear led to hiding, we read of in Genesis. Then we get to maybe one of the most disturbing verses in all Scripture. Genesis chapter 3, verse 24 says, He, that's God, drove out the man. And at the east of the Garden of Eden. You see, that's where they were. That's where they experienced this perfect relationship. That's where they experienced the presence of God. And they were driven out, and God, it says, He placed a cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree. Of life, You see, it wasn't just shame that entered because of sin. It wasn't just fear that entered because of sin. It wasn't just hiding that entered this world because of sin. There's something even far more damaging that we read about there, and it's this. Separation. Separation. So God takes an angel, a cherubim with a flaming sword to guard the place where there was no shame. To guard the place where mankind dwelt in the presence of Yahweh. And he guarded it with a sword in such a way as to say that if you ever attempt to get back into this place, you will die you will be cut down. And for the first time, mankind has to live outside of the garden. Outside of the presence of God. Hill City Church, hear me, one of the great follies of mankind, it's been your folly and it's been my folly, is that we believe that we can get back to the garden and we attempt to get back to the garden on our own. And it's impossible. And I would go so far as to say it has cost many their lives. And some of you may be, re- may be thinking, no, I've read the Bible. I don't remember anybody ever trying. I didn't read that. No, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about people who try to get back into the garden Try to get back into this perfect place and experience what was only experienced in the garden. You see, because at our deepest level, in our most human state, that is where we long to be. That's where we long to live. That is where we were were created to be in the presence of Yahweh. And so many try to get back there. But the problem is they try to get back to the garden through relationships. Or they try to get back to the garden through leisure. Or maybe they try to get back to the garden through success in the workplace. But many men and women have tried and it's led them to death. See, mankind had to be put outside of the presence of God. And the reason they had to be put outside of the presence of God is because God is holy. God is perfect. Everything that God does, everything God does is good. And it's right. And it's just. And it's perfect. And it is necessary. And that includes Putting man and woman outside of his presence, it was perfect and it was right and it was just and it was necessary. Because everything God does is that. and that includes that includes his plan of restoration. See, God had a plan of restoration. See, early in his plan, you can read in the Old Testament that God chose a people. He starts with this dude in the middle of nowhere named Abram. Chose him. Not because how awesome Abram was, but because how awesome God was. Changed his name to Abraham. Abram had a son. Abraham had a son named Isaac. Isaac then had a son named Jacob. Jacob had a bunch of sons, 12 to be exact. And then these sons had a bunch of kids too. And those 12 sons actually became 12 tribes. And those people, this people group that God chose, they worshiped God. They did worship God, and they worshiped Him in a tabernacle first, later, then in a temple. And I want you to understand this, this tabernacle that they worshiped in. See, God gave them meticulous instructions. Meticulous instructions on what this tabernacle should look like, how it was to be built, what should go inside of this tabernacle, and not just what should go inside of it, but exactly how it was to go inside of it. He gave them meticulous instructions. Remember that. We're going to come back to it. We read of this throughout Exodus. Chapter 25. You can read it all the way through chapter 31. And you, I mean, if you have like... 700 hours, study this, because that's about what it'll take to just grasp it. But I want you to read or see uh, Exodus 25, verse 8 and 9, right? This is God talking. He says, They are to make a sanctuary for me so that I may dwell among them. Look what God says. You must make it. Or you must make it according to all that I show you, the pattern of the tabernacle as well as the pattern of all its furnishings. And here's what I want you to get out of that little verse right there. It is God who has always desired to dwell with His people. It is God who is the pursuer. It is our God who is a pursuing God. If you believe in Him this morning, it's because He pursued you. Back to this plan of restoration. You see, He wanted a place to dwell. But He did not just want a place to dwell. Those people who He chose to dwell among, He also gave them a system in which they were to follow. A sacrificial system. You see, remember the tribes, right? There were twelve tribes. One of those tribes, one of those sons' name was Levi. And Levi's tribe were then called the Levites. And we read about them in Leviticus, or might I say, Leviticus. And as you read through the Old Testament, like just, just maybe something that might help you understand like all priests in the Old Testament were Levites. Now, not all Levites were priests, but all priests were Levites. And Leviticus chapter 16 tells us of this system. And part of this system is where once a year, the high priest, on what's called the Day of Atonement, was to go alone. No one could go with him. He had to be washed clean, and he would go behind this huge curtain that was put in this temple into this place called the Holy of Holies. And this is where the presence of God was. And this high priest who went there alone would then make a sacrifice. Chapter 16, verse 19 Gives you a little peek into what happened behind this curtain where only the high priest could go alone to make sacrifices. And he shall sprinkle some of the blood on it with his finger seven times and cleanse it and consecrate it from the uncleanness of the people of Israel. See, he would go behind this curtain to the place where God dwelt, the Holy of Holies. And he would make a sacrifice to atone for the sins of God's People. But here's the thing about that sacrifice. One modern theologian said this. It was actually more like our credit card system here. Now, I hope this isn't your story, but this is kind of how it works. You get a credit card, and then you start spending, and you get a debt, and then they send you a bill, and you pay the minimum. And then you get a bill the next month, and you pay the minimum. And you get a bill the next month and you pay the minimum. That's kind of how it worked. This high priest would go in, but he would, with this sacrifice, he would only appease the wrath of God for a moment. Because he would go in this year, and then he'd have to go back in next year, and then he'd have to go back in next year. And hear me, just like on the credit cards, the debt always remained. And there was disconnect. And there was separation. And how were we to ever get back to God? How were we to ever Get back into the presence of God. How are we to ever get back to the garden? Here's the answer. We weren't. We couldn't. And God knew this. It was actually part of His plan. So He knew we couldn't get to Him, so His plan included this. Him coming to us. Like He looked at us. They can never get to Me. But My plan is this. I will go to them. And this is where we read of God putting on flesh and coming and dwelling among us. Emmanuel. God with us. Finally, God came to us. He put on flesh and He came to us. And He lived perfectly. He lived sinless. He lived Shameless. He lived fearless. And he comes with this earth and he heals people. He gives people hope. He washes their feet. He feeds them. But then he claims to be God. Now think about this for a minute because I just told you about this system. Right? And that, this, that God dwelt behind this curtain into this Holy of Holies. And this system was a big deal. It was God who gave the system. And this people that He chose, they practiced this system for thousands of years. They took this system very seriously. Like I'm just telling you, if, that, if the high priest that went behind the curtain had any sin that he did not uh, take care of before God, he dropped dead. Like this was a big deal. And then you have this Jesus guy who comes on the scene and he goes, no, I'm God. And these people who had this system say, oh, no, no, no. This guy must be stopped. This guy is saying he's God. He must be silenced. This guy says he's God. He must die. Luke chapter 23. Our passage. And here's the thing, Hill City, so much could be taught about the crucifixion of Jesus. Like how do you... The passage that was read, it was long, tons of verses, rich. This is our 63rd sermon in Luke. We could do nearly 60 on the crucifixion and death of Jesus. So what do we do with this? Do, do I come before the church and go, okay, we're, I'm going to teach on Roman torture and the methods of Roman torture and how they designed it to actually keep people alive as long as possible, to suffer as much as possible. We could go there today, but we're not. We could go to the words that Jesus spoke while He was on the cross, right? Seven sayings of Jesus on the cross. We could go there. Go seven weeks on that. We could look at the two thieves and the conversation that they had with Jesus and with each other, and we could stay in that narrative. We could look into the creative writing style of Luke, which he was a very creative writer, right? And and as we read, you probably didn't catch it, I didn't catch it, but like, you remember, he had these women, right? crying and Jesus turns them and talks to them and that conversation happened on the way to the cross. And then of course you had the conversation on the cross before Jesus died with the thieves, right? Then after that we're talking about this road going away from the cross where it talked about these people that were beating their chests. We could live in that narrative where, where Luke gives us sort of three episodes. Just a lot of things, right? That we could cover with Jesus' crucifixion. So what is a what is a Bible teacher to do? I'm just going to give you the answer. You you read and you pray. And you write and you listen and then you repeat until the Holy Spirit says, "It's this." And in His sovereignty, I believe it's God's sovereignty that we're going to look at one little verse today. One little verse in that whole passage that you just might have missed. And that verse is verse 44. It was now about the sixth hour and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour while the sun's light failed and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. The curtain of the temple was torn in two. Listen to me. like We're not talking about a little rip that, you, that you, your mama puts a patch on. We're not talking about a little corner of the curtain that was ripped off. Matthew 27, 51 gives us the same account. He writes it like this And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth shook, and the rocks were split. Curtain. Guys, remember those meticulous instructions? Remember those meticulous instructions on what should go in the temple, in the tabernacle. Check this out, Exodus chapter 26. And you shall make a veil, that's a curtain, of blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twined linen. It shall be made with a cherubim. Your mind should take you back to Genesis when you see that. skillfully worked in, and you shall hang it on four pillars of acacia overlaid with gold, with hooks of gold on four bases of silver, and you shall hang the veil from the clasp and bring the ark of the testimony in there within the veil. Here we go. And the veil shall separate for you the holy place from the most holy I don't know what you guys are thinking when you think curtain or you think veil. Like we have some pretty hardy curtains here on this stage, yeah? Which are are way different than the ones you're using in your house to keep the sun out. These curtains pale into comparison to this curtain. This curtain that we read of was 60 feet tall. It was 30 feet wide. The thickness of I read some commentaries that said it was as thick as the palm of your hand. And then I read some that said it was up to three feet. I don't know. I did read this though. They said it was thick enough that if you two horses could be tied on each side of it and they could take off and they could not tear it. And Jesus on the cross, it was as if God took the sword of Jesus the cherubim that we read about in Genesis and in the act of pouring out his wrath upon his own son, cut him down. But make no mistake, as we talked about a couple of weeks ago, the worst part of the crucifixion, it was not the Roman torture. It wasn't the physical pain that Jesus went through. The worst part of this crucifixion and the cup of God's wrath was the separation. We can read in the Gospels where Jesus cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he was separated. Started in the garden when God did not answer. Separated. You've got to understand something. He's never experienced that in all eternity past. He's never been separated from God the Father. And on the cross, Jesus is separated. And when the cup of God's wrath no longer had even a drop inside of it, the curtain was torn in two from top to bottom. And now we from the first time since genesis have access we have access if we believe the gospel john 3:36 whoever believes in the son has eternal life whoever does not obey the son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. In other words, separation remains on him. Outer darkness remains on him. I have no clue what you believe about hell. My guess is you're thinking fire, whatever. Here's what I want you to understand. The worst part of eternal hell is separation. And it's not, listen, you, you, th- make no mistake, like hell's not this place, like well, okay, I'll be separated from God, but me and my buddy Joe, we'll get to hang out together. Listen to me, you are alone in outer darkness, and it's horrible. That's God's wrath. And it's real. And you must believe and, and, and you hear that like, well, what do you mean believe on the sun? I mean believe the Gospel. And listen, let me tell you first what the Gospel isn't. Because I, sh- I surely hope that we, that, that we don't lead you to misunderstand what the Gospel is. The Gospel isn't some universalism where I'm good enough. I'm smart enough. Doggone it, Jesus likes me. It's not the gospel. See, Paul makes this very clear for us, and I, I want you to get this. He writes in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, he starts, he starts chapter 15, he says, let me remind you of the gospel. So then you know what he does right after that? He reminds them of the gospel. For I deliver to you, verse 3, for I deliver to you as of first importance, the gospel, that's the first and most important, the gospel. What I also received, Paul says, and here it is, this is the gospel, that Christ died for our sins in accordance to the Scriptures. That's what we just read about, Luke 23. That He was buried, that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. That is the gospel. Now this is huge. Hear me. When you believe that, when you believe that, look what Hebrews tells us that the blood of Jesus does. Jesus' blood sacrifice did something that the blood of animals could never do behind a curtain. Therefore, brothers, Luke, or Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19, therefore, brothers, in other words, therefore, Anybody and everybody that believes in the gospel of Jesus, therefore, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that He opened for us through the curtain, that is through His flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. With our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for He who promised is faithful. See, in Genesis chapter 3, with sin came shame, came fear, came hiding, came separation, but when Jesus breathed his last breath on the cross. This curtain tore. And it gave us access. In other words, here's what happened. Shame and fear are gone. And they are replaced with, I don't know if you caught it, confidence. Confidence to enter the holy places. You know who does not have confidence to enter a holy place? A person Burdened down with shame and scared. If you knew what I, man, God's gonna strike me with lightning from the way I live. That's fear. That's shame. Hebrews 10 shame and fear is gone because of Jesus. He became our shame, He replaced it with confidence. There's something else that's gone. Are you ready? Separation is gone. And it's replaced with drawing near. See, when Jesus gave up his last breath and the curtain was torn, Hebrews says now in verse 22, let us draw near with a true heart. How do we draw near? In full assurance. Hill City Church, to put it in short, we Have a way back to the garden. We have a way back to the presence of God. And another thing that we learn in Hebrews and actually throughout all the New Testament we don't need a priest to get us to God. Jesus actually served as the great high priest. He mediates between God and us. See, his work on the cross, his work on the cross eliminated the Old Testament need of a priest. 1 Timothy chapter 2. Check this out. For there is one God. There is one mediator between God and men. The man, Christ Jesus. Who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. Listen to me, you don't need a priest. You get to go to God. You get to enter the throne room, and you get to talk to Him, and hear me, He hears you. Listen to me. It's not, listen, It's not. this is awesome. It's not just that Jesus is our high priest and that we don't need a priest. That is true. There's more to it. Are you ready? When you believe the gospel, when you by faith trust in Jesus and His finished work, you become a priest. It's a room full of priests right now. 1 Peter 2.9 But you are a chosen race. That's you. That's followers of Jesus. People who believe the gospel and trust in the finished work of Jesus. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for His own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness and into His marvelous light. You are a priest. And here's what that means not just that you get to go to God directly to him and he hears you, that you don't have to go to some guy on this earth and tell him your sins so that he can go to God for you. That's hogwash. You go to God. But it also means this, you get to proclaim the excellencies. So we're here together and we're proclaiming together the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into marvelous light. We're proclaiming them to each other. That's huge. You need that in your life. And then you know what you get, you get to do? You get to go out there and you get, to go, you get to go see people who don't believe. And you get to proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into marvelous light. Listen to me, I don't know what the conversations going to be this week. They're probably not going to be great at your workplace given the incidences of this weekend. I'm just going to ask you this. Don't get into a political discussion. Proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into the marvelous light. You are a priest. And let me tell you this. When the curtain torn, when the curtain was ripped from top to bottom, you have access. And I'm telling you, of this, you can be certain. Go back to the first sentences of the Gospel of Luke. Why did he write this? Yes, he was writing to Theopolis. But it's also for us. So that you may be certain. That's what I want you to see. As you read, Luke, I want you to read it and know for certain that Jesus is exactly who he said he was. And when he breathed his last breath, a curtain was torn, and you have access. And when you believe, you become a priest. I have no smooth landing for this sermon here today. So Daniel, Daniel made an announcement. And it was more a vision. It's a more a call to action. And he talked about baptisms that are going to happen here. And, and if you're a visitor, I want to explain to you, or maybe, you've just, maybe you haven't seen baptisms here. I don't know. I want to explain to you what you're going to see in a couple of weeks when you see baptisms. If this is your church, you've been coming, you've seen a bunch of baptisms, let me remind you what you're going to see when you see baptisms. See, people who get baptized here, they, they are people who have tried and tried and tried on their own to get back to the garden. They tried to get into God's presence or to get the the gifts of what the garden provided. And they realized they couldn't. They tried through relationships. They tried through success. They tried through leisure. And it's like, I I can't do it on my own. It's Christ alone. And they're going to be baptized. And in that baptism, you know what they're doing? They're proclaiming the excellencies of the one who called them out of darkness into the marvelous light, and they're going to proclaim them to you. People who get baptized at this church are people who were just sick of the shame. They couldn't carry it anymore. So they laid it down at the foot of the cross, the only place to lay it. People who get baptized here are people who were sick of the separation. So they turned to the only one who could rid them of their shame. They turned to the only one by which they could draw near to God. And it's weird. They're going to get in a tub of water and they're going to get dunked and they're going to proclaim the excellencies of the one that called them out of darkness into the marvelous light. Here's what I will tell you this morning. I hope if you're sitting in here, I hope you believe That today. I hope you believe by faith and confess that Jesus is who He says He was. You heard the gospel here today. It's my prayer that will pierce your heart if you don't believe that. And the reality is this most of you do believe it. And I just want to give you a guarantee, guarantee. You are close to someone. Who is sick of the shame. You're, you're close to someone who is dying to unload the shame. They are dying to be able to draw near. He'll church, listen to me. And you have the answer. You just have to proclaim. The one who, when he breathed his last breath, caused the curtain to tear. Just got to proclaim him. Are you proclaiming it? Let's pray.